0: On this day in 1999, Pearl Jam's debut album 10 certified diamond for sales, over 10 million copies in America. Kerrang's George Garner said, arguably the greatest rock debut record of all time. And Eddie Vedder, surely to have one of the most distinctive voices of music. And you know, it's, it's when this came out, completely passed me by. Not the least bit interested in grunge. I was more into my jazz fusion. Your Mahavishnu orchestras, you know. But listen to this now. What an incredible song! It's, an, it's a think? moment
1: in time. But yeah. then you know, I was ruined by Led Zeppelin in the seventies. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Good call. What about uh, uh, what about you, Nick? I could easily see you with um, your pajamas on, You're listening to this. Um, a little bit of no. Uh, flannel.
2: No, but well, like you, I think. The appreciation grows with time. Yes, yes. And so you look. I, I sort of listen back. You know, I listen to rock now, particularly in the eighties and nineties. I think, yeah, I'm into this. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's. um I think it. And, and what what's great is it doesn't date.
0: Yes, it's incredible, isn't it? It's. Uh, who's a Pearl Jam fan? Who Who was a Pearl Jam sh- fan from the start, uh, as opposed to uh, late developers like me, just acknowledged it last year. Uh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> lovely track fantastic 24 to 5 the panel look such a huge response regarding teachers i want to read everything that i can't we'll pop them in the friday mailbag keep them coming can i just give you one or two kia ora, panel i'm a beginning teacher in my first year at a high school in auckland my student debt is higher than fifty thousand dollars The cost of living in Auckland is a lot higher than teaching in the regions. Uh, I teach over 100 kids this year. I have a handful of diagnosed children with learning difficulties, one who's autistic and deaf, but he does not get a teacher aid in my class. But I have to take the careful time to teach him, plus the 30 other kids in his class. And that's just one senior class of mine. But there is at least five diagnosed kids, but so many fly under the radar and just struggle it's quite something. Uh, the feedback I'm getting.
1: This is real. This is yeah. Know, we've got kids coming to school now with a, such a range of undiagnosed problems, and the expectations on the under-resourced person in the classroom is is just becoming extraordinarily hard. We'll have to come back to this on the panel, uh, Dr. Alla Henry and Nick Leggett, with me today.
0: Now, imagine saving to buy a home. You see the plans, sign off, pay the deposit. The house gets half-built, then the company goes under. That's what's happening to some budding homeowners as the construction crunch accelerates. Auckland Building Specialists started in 2005, went into liquidation a few weeks ago, owing the IRD just over a million. Bayside Designer Homes is the latest company to cease trading. They have nine unfinished Auckland housing sites. Milford, Beach Haven, Hobsonville, Sunnyvale, Papakura, included professor of construction at aut john turkey joins us professor turkey kiora good afternoon good afternoon 238 building companies liquidated in the 11 months to november last year 238 why is it happening
3: uh, in in general terms all building companies uh, generally tend to fold as a result of a cash lo- cash flow crisis that occurs at the moment, uh, you know, you have to bear in mind that all construction that takes place, including household construction, is uh, is built, it's all happening with borrowed money. So as the cost of borrowed money increases, as interest rates increase, so the ability of individuals to be able to cover the the, the costs associated with the construction projects uh, increases, the cost of... Um, of materials uh, is increasing as a result of uh, inflationary pressures more generally and you end up with a, a classic sort of toothpaste tube squeezed out oh. and and you the you end up with um, as i say a cash flow crisis that occurs and all companies that do that you know they they tend to go bust sadly with full order books as well oh dear uh, they can and they can't so they can't maintain the continuity of operations associated with their with their um their con- contracted works
0: Okay, so you're saying that the books might be uh, pretty healthy, uh, maybe even full, that there is there is work up ahead, but the cash is not there for them.
3: No, it's, uh, like I say, it, it literally comes down to everything is borrowed and as the cost of borrowed money increases... So the, uh, the 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 crunch occurs as a result of the uh, of the problems associated with cash flow coming through. A lot of builders they have multiple jobs and they'll use the money coming in from one job to offset the requirement to purchase materials for another job, and so on. And and the the, the companies that tend to be less well managed um, come across a real quick as a result. And uh, what you tend to find is it's the less well managed companies are the ones that get weeded out in the first. Um, sort of, blush, as it were. Yeah, first tranche, and the ones who are more pragmatic and they're they're a little, they think a little bit more longer term, and <clears throat> they've they've seen this sort of thing before. They usually know what to expect, and consequently. They, uh, they, they sort of pull the horns in a little bit quicker. They know what they, they shouldn't be taking on. They try to concentrate on, on dealing with jobs which have easy cash days, you know, rapid turnarounds and uh, maintain cash flow. And uh, sadly, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a major deficit in terms of the skills associated with um, business management in the building sector.
1: Indeed. Ella? Look, I agree entirely. I agree entirely. Kia ora, John. Um, I think, you know, this is such an unregulated sector in terms of company ownership that you could have any assortment of cowboys setting up in whatever range of organisations. I feel like... Policy and policy and, and statutes to protect consumers do not necessarily have enough teeth in this area and need to be beefed up to protect, protect. This is the biggest investment we'll ever make in our lives. And to not have that kind of protection from some kind of centralised agency worries me greatly.
0: Imagine that, John. Imagine how heartbreaking it would be on the other side <laughs> if you were at the end of one of these deals. You wouldn't be able to sleep.
3: Uh, it it 's horrific and uh, you know there 's lots of um, uh, findings that have been uh, related uh, as far as this is concerned with depression and uh, all sorts of negative uh, psychological consequences uh, it's it 's appalling and it 's an extraordinarily difficult set of circumstances but unfortunately it tends to be an inevitable inevitable consequence associated with uh not, I wouldn't say unregulated growth, but certainly, um, you know, we've been pretty bullish for a number of years in the sector. Uh, we've seen a huge uh, preponderance of new new um, projects that have been consented. They've gone through and they've got their uh, resource consent, and off they go to the races. We've seen, you know, week after week, month after month, we see the stats going up to close to forty thousand, forty thousand plus per year houses consented, and. Um, it what, what sadly happens in those sort of circumstances it very often drags in some not so capable not so competent players who want to make a quick buck, and you know these are the ones who very often do not have the business skills, do not have the capability, and they don't have the the experience necessary to be able to run a company effectively just you know, it sets a hostage to fortune for so many different people it's sad
2: Nick Liga. I've got two concerns and I'm interested just to, uh, on the particular one, the first one really is around, I mean obviously the economy was contracting in the last three months of last year, this is not going to help, Uh, so people are going to be less likely to invest in a new house or additions or things that help stimulate the economy but more importantly are we building the houses that we need for people to to, to to accommodate people? We had a housing shortage not too long ago. Do we still have a housing sh- shortage and we're, uh, migration is obviously going to be opening up again. so are we going to be able to build the houses that we need for new you know New Zealanders and new New Zealanders to live in? um
3: generally the uh, the, the, the the majority of the the new consents that have come out in the course of the last couple of years have generally been for. Um, smaller homes, which are more um, attuned to the mid-range or lower range of the uh, of the market, and this is a good thing. But there's an awful lot of uh, multi-unit uh, dwellings, multi-unit properties that are going in. A lot of infill in the city, in Auckland, and so on. And they, so, generally speaking, the uh, the types of new stuff that's coming out is actually is actually uh, appropriate for need. You know, is it built? Um, at an optimum price. Well, that's a slightly different thing. You know, we all know the failings of Kiwi Build and all the other things that we we saw over the last few years. Um, but the market is actually moving in the direction of uh, of uh, actually producing these more affordable homes in the uh, okay. in the lower uh, percentiles of the of in terms of cost. Um, are we going to be you know, right. I, I doubt it. I think we're going to be short of total numbers because, quite frankly, over a, a 10, 12 year building boom period where we were growing at a sort of a 19 percent per annum growth rate here in Auckland, as an example, um, you know, it, we, we never caught up with the deficit that existed before. So on the one hand, it means that you're not necessarily going to see a house price collapse. But on the other hand, we're still, we're still deficient in the number of houses that we need for society as a whole, and that's obviously not a good thing. Mm.
0: Very good, John. Thank you for your time. John took you there, Professor of Construction at uh, AUT. Meanwhile, a few Pearl Jam lovers are coming through. 90s Palmy North, cut-off jeans, plaid shirt, undercut long hair. Painting a picture of this person, Ella. Bogan. Um, Bogan. Well, you said it, not me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going there. Eyebrow pierced and pearl jam. I was a true adherent and copped a lot of insults from people who did not know what grunge was, but I loved it. Uh, Wonderful to have your listening here this afternoon. I really appreciate your correspondence coming through about why you were on the teacher strike uh, today, If you can email me the panel at rnznational.co.nz and I'll read some of those out tomorrow at 3.45 in the Friday at Melbourne. There's been a real variety of response, particularly around the teachers that Dilemma face regarding the challenges that children are going through right now and how that's manifesting itself in the classroom day by day. But I found this fascinating. Focus is increasingly turning to our infrastructure, both how fragile part of it's been in the wake of Cyclone Gabriel, you know, some key arterial routes, for example, but also how to tackle super big infrastructure projects. $200 billion plus is needed. Now, people listening to this that are old enough will recall something called the Ministry of Works. It was privatised under... David Longey. Some get nostalgic for it, but was it all that it cracked up to be? And how would the huge rebuild happen post Cyclone Gabriel now under a Ministry of Works model? Max Rashbrooks penned an opinion piece on this. He's from the Institute for Governance and Poli- Policy Studies. Max Keller. So it ended in 1988. What did the Ministry of Works build? What were they responsible for?
4: Well, the Ministry of Works um, had a huge history. It started out in 1870, and it either oversaw or built a huge range of the infrastructure uh, that underpinned this country's prosperity. So it was responsible for most of the hydro dams, for instance. It was responsible for a lot of the early railways, um, some of the roads, uh, a huge range of buildings, You know, from ranging from, you know, like I said, hydro stations through to the... Oh, wow. Central Police Station so on Victoria huge, Street. Huge yeah, project. An incredible range of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely huge projects, Yeah.
0: Uh, some people, some younger people, Max, might be trying to get their head round of this. What a government department in house builds stuff like that.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does seem like something that belongs to a different era, doesn't it? But they, I mean, there was kind of two elements to it. One was the. The planning and the quality, if you like. So the department employed architects and engineers and it did planning and it thought about, okay, what do we need, where, and how do we design it? How do we design it to a high standard? How do we make sure that the engineering is of high quality? That was one bit. And then sometimes it also actually built the stuff itself. So it employed the construction work. It didn't always do that and that varied a lot through its history. But yeah, sometimes literally the government was building infrastructure with people directly employed in the public
1: sector. Ella. Oh, look, I've been banging on about reinvigorating a Ministry of Works for years. I mean, you know, under a Ministry of Works model, we had centralised procurement so that supply chain issues were not, you know, we could we could aggregate purchasing power. Um, we trained generations of top quality tradies across every area. So if you were MOW trained, you know, and when they did go uh, private in the 80s, all of those those tradies went on to own their own companies. But now we have a desperate shortage of tradespeople. We have we have leaky buildings because the building standards have gone haywire. Well. So, you know, I, I mean, saying young people don't know, I really applaud the work of Max Harris and Jackie Paul, their paper around a, a, a green ministry of works. This is young people looking at the market and saying, why don't we pick the best of what worked in the past and reinvigorate right. it for the future? Stay there, Max. Okay, you're clearly for
2: it. Nick Leggett. I'm on the fence. I read Max's piece, and I thought it was excellent on the weekend. And I just wonder, though, it's an obsession once again with means, not ends. What I think people want back is the ability to build large infrastructure in our yeah. country, a, a, a really far-sighted, kind of secure, uh, less politicized focus on what we need in terms of infrastructure, and then, you know, assurance that it can be built. Uh, for the public good. Right. Now that may or may not be a, um, a a Ministry of Works but I do think uh, you know, a, 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 the private sector could deliver that if we were much stronger, uh, we had much stronger political leadership and public sector leadership on things like procurement, on building uh, workforces and equip, equipping them with the skills that they need to, 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 to be able to power these sort of projects. So I'm I'm, I'm up, I think we need better commitment to, to actually what we're trying to achieve and then the how uh, right. becomes uh, something that we have to solve after that. Max?
4: Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I think those are all reasonable comments and I think... You know, there's a huge amount that's needed in the infrastructure space. I mean, there's it's estimated there's a $210 billion infrastructure deficit, so there's just more funding needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Al quite right about the training shortfalls. I mean, trades training has been in a terrible state in this country for decades, and we need to do something where we're just training people a whole lot better. Um, and, you know, I think Nick's sort of referring to stuff, like, I mean, huge delays. At the moment, that it takes in getting infrastructure projects.
0: And can approved. I just jump in here? Here's the deal. Apparently, and this is why I brought it up, in Aotearoa, we are not good at delivering a large project on time and on budget. Other countries are. Mm.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And while I don't think a Ministry of Green Works would solve everything, mm. I do think where I differ from Nick maybe is that. You know, you, you you have to have some kind of assurance that if we spend money on these things, it's going to be money spent well. And I think the big problem with government at the moment is it's got so hollowed out that it doesn't even know how to be a good client. You know, we don't oh, even I know how to
2: think. That's absolutely good right. We've just lost the yeah. expertise internally in government. Yeah. You're absolutely right.
4: It's okay. and, and you see that with transmission guardian things like that, right? right? So we need to do something to rebuild that capacity. I think
2: there was there was even a government
0: architect.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and a really prestigious position. They That's designed right. all sorts of things, Could old government be. buildings through to the through to the seventies. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. And, and again, it was a way of driving up quality.
1: I just remember no leaky buildings.
0: Yeah. Hey, we've got to yeah, do a part yeah. two on um, this, Max. This is so interesting, and all the Ministry of Works memories you talked about. People who trained under the MOW. Did you uh, text me or email me at the panel at RNZ dot co dot nz? Hey, kia ora, Max, um, appreciate. Um, Uh, that jumping-off point for that uh, Ministry of Works discussion there. It is 7 to 5, uh, the panel uh, with uh, Dr Ella Henry and Nick Leggett this afternoon. Now, finally, the Oxford English Dictionary updates... Every three months, and this month, the update includes a significant, a significant amount of Te Reo Māori. Uh, uh, kupu like fenua, ehoa, koha, and pōverty are included. Forty-seven New Zealand words, some Te rau Māori, some Te Reo Pākehā. RNZ Hanare Te Ua Māori Journalism Intern Pukiri Paiwai has been following the story. Pukiri, kia ora, ehoa. Uh, kia ora. Very nice to have you here. Now, so the, the Oxford English Dictionary updated four times a year. This update seven hundred new words forty seven of them specifically from Altero, New Zealand. Good to have Te reo included
5: um yeah, I think uh, it shows that more maori and and non Maori are comfortable using Maori words, and that 's always a good thing on on the flip side. there is a question about you know can a dictionary definition capture the the whole meaning of Maori words and um also this question of like the dictionary having um, authority over the meanings yeah. of Māori words as well. Let's bring it out. What's your thoughts?
1: Well, I I absolutely celebrate it. I mean, it's it's wonderful because the reality is OED is used by people all over the world, and I I agree with you utterly. I take that the brief uh, definitions will not ever capture the depth and and beauty of some of these Maori words, some of the kupu But it introduces a whole new audience to our real, and it reminds me that. I have great sympathy for those people in this country who are so triggered just by hearing te reo Māori, mm. any word on radio or television, that they are moved to protest and anger and mm. rage and it feels really, really mm. sad to me but especially when they like to call themselves Kiwi because that's a Māori yes. word Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's. Um, I mean, w- what's your response on that book, Kitty? Because that has been an angle like that's so <laughs> 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 uh, uh putting you on the spot here as is, uh, is, uh, our, our wonderful Māori uh, generalist but um, uh, what do you think Is this just a reflection of the normalization of te rau Maori in our society?
5: Um, yeah, I, I do think that's the case. Um, we're seeing a lot more ma- uh, non-Mori being comfortable using these Maori words, and I wonder also if it will help you know Maori um, who are second language learners and who oh, feel yep. that right. Uh, that fucker ma we call it that shame of not being able to speak that ear. i'm not sure if like just this little step will be able to help but yes helping them is like the next big step in te reo maori re- revitalization i see it
0: what do we got here i'm looking at uh, some of the words here uh, you've got kaupapa uh, koha korero kuia maonga and
2: others uh, nick leggett I, I thought what Alice said about the triggering. Um, yeah, this this will trigger uh, some people. But I look, I just think it's great because it shows that um, Te Reo is moving into the everyday language for uh, all New Zealanders. And that can only be a good thing um, because it helps people take steps, it helps us all. I I think one of the the, the drawbacks of this country is that we are monolingual and what we know about those societies that have more than one language is that their brains are bigger (laughs) Literally. And that there is, um, you know, there's just a deeper, richer, greater essence in those societies. So I, I think this is um, this is positive and it will um, it will continue to grow, I'm sure. Right. Pōgeri, is there a discussion about the
0: uh, choice of words there? You know, because uh, there's
5: uh, just a handful. What about what of that? Um. Oh, I'm not sure about the choice, but it seems like most of the words there are quite commonly used words that not just yeah. a, that a lot of New Zealanders would recognise and understand. Mm. Uh, one thing that did uh, that I did see that I thought was quite interesting that raised my eyebrows was that in the dictionary they're not using um, macrons on these words. They're not using the tohu tohu. Really? Which is a big, (coughs) which is very important in te reo Māori, the macrons.
1: I have a view about macrons. I don't, I mean, if you read our old manuscripts written by our ancestors who we are supposed to validate and honour, not one of them used a macron. But I say that as somebody who works at a university who is required to use macrons. A discussion could be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a discussion for a further time. That's a wonderful stuff. Someone says, I love rea Māori, but where does it fit? In the English dictionary, is it diluting today? Mari? Māori? Uh, maybe up for another discussion. For now, a pōkere pāi wai. Kia ora. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Tēnā koe. And that is a wonderful final point. Hey, when uh, my young junior comes out of school, there's no negativity about using Te, mao, te rau Māori uh, in class. He's he's bursting with pride, and so you temper our young people coming through. With we are becoming
1: bilingual, and maybe then trilingual.
0: Good on you. all right, Doctor Ella Henry, Nick Leggett. You've been wonderful this afternoon. Thank you so much, both. Um, I'm here for your 3:45. Wonderful feedback today, and it's Power ballad, ballad Friday tomorrow. See you then. It is Checkpoint with Lisa
5: Owen next.